0: It you know, so you got to have those batteries, important. Uh, Second Corinthians 2 in your Bibles, if you would. Greetings from Long Island, New York that's where I pastor out in the town of Mastic Beach, about three quarters of the way out on the uh, south shore. Been good friends with your pastor for years. You have a wonderful man of God as your pastor. You ought to appreciate him, you ought to love him, you ought to appreciate the stand that he takes uh, in a day of compromise uh, where churches, Baptist churches, are dropping like flies all over the country. Uh, I thank God for your pastor that has held the line and not compromised. Amen and amen. Well, 2 Corinthians chapter 2, when you find it in your Bibles. And by the way, it's good that you sent him to preacher's meeting in Oklahoma City. He needs that. It's good for him. And you want him to be right with God. That's investing in yourselves. And I'm so glad, glad that you sent him to meetings like that. 2 Corinthians 2. Uh, I don't know what I said before. 2 Corinthians 2. I think I said 12. 12. Uh, and when you find it in your Bibles, if you stand together with me, I don't know if you do that in your church, but we do that in our church. And so, if you don't do it here, I'm sorry. But now that you're standing, we'll just leave it that way. Amen. Second Corinthians 2, uh, beginning at verse 12, I'll read down to the end of the chapter. The Bible says, um, the Apostle Paul writing to the Christians at Corinth, says, furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord... I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them, I went from thence into Macedonia. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved, and in them that perish. To the one... We are the savor of death unto death, and to the other the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? For we are not as many which corrupt the word of God, but as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. Father, thank you so much for this uh, time tonight that we can spend in your word. We pray that you would give us a tent of minds and a tent of hearts to the things of God, that your Holy Spirit might be allowed to work his will, his way in our lives. Father, we just pray that not only that which is preached would be pleasing to you tonight, but also the response of your people to that which is preached. May it be glorifying to you. Get glory from the service. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. The Battle of New Orleans was the greatest battle of the War of 1812. It was great because American forces smashed the invading British armies, incurring incredible losses to them, but costing only eight American lives. What a battle it was. But the funniest thing about the battle is that it happened after the war was over. He said, why is that? Well, the peace treaty had already been signed in Europe. England had already uh, surrendered to the United States. But before the news in those days didn't have satellites and tele- telephone and all that, before the news made it back uh, to the, uh, North America, the British invaded and the battle broke out. Uh, well, that's kind of how it is for a, the Christian living on earth. Uh, we still have battles to fight uh, in this life. Uh, and yet at the same time, the victory has already been achieved. And as we come to the uh, book of 2 Corinthians tonight, we find Paul in the middle of a spiritual battle himself. He is concerned about the Christians uh, in Corinth, and this uh, occasions the writing of this letter uh, to them. Uh, Now, the book of 2 Corinthians is, of all of Paul's epistles, by far it is the most personal. It is not a structured theological treatise like Romans or 1 Corinthians, uh, rather, it's just an open letter to the church of Corinth where Paul bears his heart to a people that he loves. Uh, Paul is just pouring out his heart to them because he loves them. Uh, and as Paul fights this inward struggle that I'm going to talk about in a minute, I'll let you know what that is, uh, it's important for us to realize as he himself is going through a struggle, uh, it's important to realize that while he faced the enemy and while Paul was sometimes forced to do battle at times, uh, Paul knew beyond any shadow of a doubt that he had already won the victory in Christ. And that's why Paul could say in verse 14, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ. I want to preach a message to you tonight that I've simply entitled, Triumph in Christ. And that is a precious truth that will be our focus tonight. <laughs> well, first of all, tonight we see Paul's triumph. Paul's triumph. As we said, Paul fought battles in his life too. Uh, Paul had times, did you realize, Paul, the great Apostle Paul, he had times where he felt overwhelmed by problems in his life. He had times in his life where he felt pressure, immense pressure. Uh, Times where he felt anxious. You say, oh, not the Apostle Paul, Brother Paulman. Yes, the Apostle Paul. He was no different than you and I, all right. He was a man like any other man. He had trials in his life. He had troubles in his life. He had to face the attacks of the devil just like you and I do. He had sorrow. He had struggles in his life also. Just listen to this wor- the list of words that Paul uses to describe his own experience. All of these come out of the book of 2 Corinthians. In chapter 1, he uses the word tribulation, sufferings, afflicted, trouble. In chapter 2, he uses the words heaviness, affliction, anguish of heart. Applying to himself, chapter 4, troubled, persecuted, perplexed, cast down. Chapter 6, distresses, stripes, imprisonments, tumult, sorrowful, poor. Uh, You get the idea. Paul, yes, Paul went through the same kind of struggles and troubles that you and I go through. As a matter of fact, Paul didn't want the Corinthians to think that Paul was above any of that just because he was an apostle. And so in chapter 1 and verse 8, Paul says to them, "For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were pressed out of measure, above strength, even in insomuch as we despaired even of life." Uh, Paul did not want them to be ignorant of his trouble in Asia. He didn't want anyone to think that he had arrived. Paul was very careful not to let people think that. Uh, what, what, what? You say what trouble was Paul referring to exactly? Well, uh, we're not exactly sure. Uh, it could have been. When he was in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19 and there was this riot concerning the goddess Diana that he was preaching Christ and and so forth and a a riot took place, could have been that because Ephesus is in Asia, Uh, perhaps he was talking about the time where he was forced to fight wild beasts, and that's mentioned in chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians, uh, uh, possibly some other event that isn't recorded in the scriptures. But whatever it was, the the, the the Corinthians knew what he was referring to, and he said that the trouble was so great, I didn't want you to be ignorant of this, he said, the trouble was so great that, that he, Paul said he was pressed out of measure, uh, uh, above his strength to deal with it, and the Bible says he despaired even of life. Paul was in situations that were so bad that he even gave up the very hope of living. So you see, Paul did have struggles and battles in his life. But this battle that Paul is going through as he writes this letter to the Corinthians was particularly hard for him to deal with and that is because he wasn't dealing with unbelievers that were persecuting him. He wasn't dealing with, dealing with infidels, uh, that he had strife over. He was dealing with believers that he loved, believers that he himself had pastored, many, m- many, if not most of that he had led to the Lord himself. And it made it all the more difficult for him because the problem that Paul was having was this. There was strife in the Corinthian church. And the strife was over him, over Paul. Because, you see, there were those that came into the church after Paul left that were false apostles. In other words, they claimed the title of apostle, but God never gave them that title. And these false apostles rose up against Paul and his teachings... And and they claimed to be apostles. And there were those in Corinth that said that Paul wasn't an apostle, uh, that he was in it for the money and so forth. And they were making accusations like that, slandering his name. Uh, The thing that hurt Paul the most is that many in the church believed them and turned against Paul, people that Paul had loved, people that had loved Paul. And it was hurtful. And to make matters worse, Paul told them that he was coming at a certain time. And then, if you read First and Corinthians, you find out his trip was postponed uh, due to events that Paul couldn't—that uh, Paul had no control over. But the false teachers said, "Well, you see, Paul's a liar. He said he was going to come at a certain time, and he didn't come. Paul's not an honest man. He says yay, and he does nay, and 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 the false teachers were capitalizing on that very thing." Well, all this, as you can imagine, was very troublesome to Paul for several reasons. First and foremost, because he loved the Corinthians so much. He was the human founder of that church. After all, he had led, as I said, probably most of them to the Lord. You can read chapter 18 and read about how he spent a year and a half of his life there founding that church and God used him to build that church secondly paul was troubled because of them that turned against paul people he loved people that he had 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 a good testimony with are now believing these false reports against paul they are turning against paul they're saying well i guess paul wasn't such a good guy after all And, and and the slander that they were giving it caused paul grief of heart grief of soul and then thirdly paul was troubled because of these false apostles that were not only in the church that he had started, but, but now were leading the church astray. And many, uh, many were believing their teachings and turning away from what Paul had taught. Uh, for example, due to their false teaching, the Corinthians had become very lax in their standing against sin. It was becoming a very carnal church. And so they were, in the name of love, allowing sin to exist in their church and tolerating that which God says they shouldn't tolerate. And they were doing nothing about sin in their church. And so Paul writes a letter uh, known as First Corinthians where he very directly deals with some of those specific issues. And so now Paul anxiously awaits to hear how the Corinthians responded to his letter. And he's supposed to meet Titus, as we just read, his fellow laborer in the Lord's work and... and uh, And get a report of how the Corinthian church was doing and and, and Paul uh, goes to Troas and Titus is supposed to meet him there and Titus isn't there. He's detained for some reason. And this is in verses 12 and 13. And so here was Paul in Troas, a city of Asia Minor uh, on the east side of the Aegean Sea and Titus isn't there. And Paul is grieved in his soul, and he wants to know how the Corinthians are doing and how they responded to Paul's first letter. Nevertheless, paul, uh, paul it even says that Paul was given an open door by the Lord to preach the gospel there, but he was so grieved in his heart uh, for the Corinthians uh, uh, th- that he had no preaching in him, and so he is so troubled over the Corinthian church, which he loved so dearly, that he had no peace in his soul to preach. And instead, he left them and he hopped on a boat across the Aegean Sea to Macedonia uh, uh, where Titus had been delayed for some reason. We're not told why. And, and Paul is trying to show them the sincerity of his love for these Corinthians. I mean, Paul was really troubled over this. Nevertheless, Paul knew that the, though he had troubles, though he had struggles, though he had battles, Paul knew that the enemy was already defeated and that Christ had already won the war. Turn to chapter 4 of 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 4, and verse number, we'll start reading at verse number 8. 2 Corinthians 4, verse number 8. Paul said, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. We having the same spirit of faith, according as it is written, I believed and therefore have I spoken. Ye also believe and therefore speak. Knowing that he which raised up the Lord Jesus shall raise us up also by Jesus and shall present us with you. Verse 15, for all things are for your sakes and the abundant grace might through the thanksgiving of many rebound to the glory of God. You see, Paul had a hope. That could never be quenched. He was a man that could never be defeated. Because he already knew that Jesus had already gotten the victory over Satan. Amen. And he won that victory at Calvary, friend. And so Paul could say in chapter 2 and verse 14. He said... uh, Go back to chapter 2, verse 14. In chapter 2, in verse 14, uh, Paul could say, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. See, Paul could be saddened at times. He could be perplexed or even anxious. But he was never defeated by Satan. He had realized that. That he already had the victory in Christ. He had triumph in Christ. Now we know what the word triumph means, don't we? It means to obtain victory. To succeed in overcoming. According to Webster, that's the definition. And we know that triumphant or triumphal. uh, It means to face the enemy or, or, or an obstacle. And to overcome them. We all understand what triumph is. But I want us to learn this evening that it meant more to Paul and to those he was writing to than meets the eye. You see, we have to understand the word as Paul would have understood it in the day and age in which he lived. Paul lived in what we call the Greco-Roman culture. Greece had been the ruling power under Alexander the Great in days past. And by Paul's day, Greece had fallen. Nevertheless, Greek culture continued to exert huge influence. And so when Rome rose, Rome adopted that Greek culture and perpetuated it even farther. And we call it the Greco-Roman culture. Now, in that day, Paul's concept of the word triumph would have included, like it does for us, the idea of victory over one's enemies but it would have also meant so much more than that and i'd like to talk what a, uh, for a few minutes about what a roman triumph was a roman triumph a roman triumph was a victory parade that would be held in rome in honor of the general that had won a great victory for rome and it was called a triumph In those days, the Roman Empire was constantly expanding, uh, taking over new territories all the time. And every time a great victory was won for Rome and a new land was subjugated uh, and brought under the control of the Roman Empire, uh, a a great victory parade would be held in Rome to honor the general that had obtained that great victory. And the parade would go on through the streets of Rome, in and out, and they would follow a certain course, uh, and it would end up at the capital, and the parade was called In Latin, a triumph. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus describes what one of these triumphs was like in his book, The Jewish War. In fact, he describes the triumph parade that took place when his own nation was defeated uh, in battle back in 70 AD. And in that year, the Roman general Titus, the son of Emperor Vespasian, conquered Jerusalem. And he was led through the, uh, through the streets of Rome triumphantly, uh, as was the custom of the Romans. Uh, first, the state, uh, and here's what would happen. Uh, he describes in that book, he was a historian from that day, from that time. He describes what would take place during this parade, this Roman triumph. And he said, first, the state officials and the senators of Rome, they would lead the parade. They would be the, the, at the front, of the front of the parade. Then the trumpeters would follow. Uh, blowing their trumpets and calling attention to the victory march that was going on. Then the spoils of war would be carried and displayed for all to see. In the case of Israel, it would have been the, uh, the, 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 the treasures, uh, the spoils of war would have been the things of the house of God that were taken out of the temple. They would have been openly displayed in Rome and marched through as a parade. After that, there would be a model of the city that was conquered. And many times they would also include models of various fortresses and citadels that the Romans had also uh, taken in, in, in the, during the war. And following those models of the city would be a white bull. And the white bull, uh, they would uh, march him along and they would take him at the end of the parade and sacrifice him to their gods who they gave credit for the victory. Well, next after that, the princes and the generals and the leaders of the conquest would come. And that would include any soldiers that maybe won distinguished honors during the battle and so forth. Following them would be the prisoners of war. And they would be chained together and they would would be forced to march uh, through the city with their heads hanging low. It was a humiliating time for these captives. Oftentimes they were the chiefs and the commanders and the leaders of the conquered people, maybe even the king. And they would be marched all the way to the capital... And when they reached the capital, they would be imprisoned, and soon after that, they would be killed. But these captives, the ones that lived anyway, would be forced to march through the streets of Rome. For the ones that died, their carcasses would be tied to the wheels of the chariots and the carts uh, that went through the parade and just dragged along in the streets, and and it would show that, that Rome was victorious and that they were defeated. Next in the procession would be the musicians. And they would play the songs of victory. And after them came the priests of Rome with their censers burning their incense. And I want you to listen to this part uh, in in particular. This is a very important part of the pray. Don't forget this. The priests with their censers, uh, they would be uh, burning incense. And the aroma of the fragrance uh, would permeate the entire city, this sweet fragrance that they would burn. And oftentimes it was said that the smoke uh, from the incense would fill the sky and even sometimes obscure uh, the view of the parade itself as it passed by. But the sweet smell of that fragrance, it let everybody know that Rome had been victorious. Now following the priest would come the general himself that had won the victory. And he'd be riding in a specially decorated gold chariot. And the chariot would be pulled uh, by leopards or white horses. Or lions or elephants, to get to, just to give extra attention to this general. Something out of the ordinary. And the crowds would cheer as this great hero of Rome would pass by. And all of this is included in the idea of a triumph. And that's going to be important for us to know in order that we might understand the victory that Paul had over the trials and the times of despair in his life. So stay with me. Because, you see, you and I, if you're saved this evening, we have the same triumph in Christ, friend, that Paul had. Amen. And that's where the truth hits home for us. The same triumph that Paul experienced is our triumph tonight. Look at verse 14 again, chapter 2, verse 14. Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest or evident the Saviour. Of his knowledge by us in every place. Now the Bible says that God always causes us to triumph in Christ. And somebody says, "Uh, preacher, I don't feel like I'm I'm always triumphing. Well, you need to understand. The victory has already been won. When Jesus hung on Calvary's cross... When he shed his blood and died and rose again the third day, he had victory over death, he had triumph over the grave, and Satan was dealt his death blow then and there. The war was over. Jesus already won. And so now, living in this world, you and I don't have to worry about death. Jesus has already conquered it. And you and I don't have to fear Satan Jesus has won the victory over him. It's not like, I sure hope this thing works out and maybe Satan will somehow get the upper hand and get victory over God and Jesus. He's already defeated. It's not going to happen. We need not be anxious over the future. Jesus has triumphed, amen. Our future is guaranteed. And so now as Christians, we can walk in victory through this life on earth. Therefore, we shouldn't live our life downcast and downtrodden. Romans 8.31 says, If God be for us, who can be against us? Verse 37, Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. Now, not only can a Christian walk with Christ in victory, but Paul carries the analogy even further. Look at verse 14 again. He says, now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to have victory in Christ. Look at this and manifest and maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every place. Now that word savor. It means aroma. It means fragrance. It means smell. Remember how we talked about the priests that came before the hero and they burnt that incense so that all could smell it. That's the idea here. That we through our testimonies, we through our lives living, uh, uh, living a Christ-like life would be like a fragrance. It would be like an aroma that, 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 is, uh, that is smelled by all. That all would know of, of the knowledge of God and His Son Jesus Christ. And as you march victorious through life, the world will see Christ in you. The world will see Christ through you. And so that your testimony will be like an aroma that goes up before all. Making the knowledge of God known to all. And as people see prayers answered often in miraculous ways. And as people see people saved and lives changed. And they see the power of God in the lives of people. The fragrance of the knowledge of God will be made known to all men. But not only the great displays of God's power. But also as God's people go through trials and sorrows and times of need. People will see our our perseverance in times of troubles. They'll see our strength in times of sorrow. Uh, They'll see provision in time of want. Uh, They will know that it is not us, but one higher than us that is meeting all of our needs. And the fragrance of the knowledge of God will call its attention to all men. Giving glory to God for his greatness. Yes, Paul had trials. Paul had despair. Yes, he had anguish of soul at times of his life, just like you do, just like I do. But while Paul was at his lowest low, he never did lose sight of the fact that Jesus had already won the victory. He never did lose sight of the fact that in the end, everything would be made right. No matter what happened in this life, nothing could stop him from being with the Lord in eternity. Amen? He never did lose sight of the fact that God was still in control. That he was working all things, even bad things, friend, working all things ultimately for our good. Like Paul, you're going to have times of grief in your life. Like Paul, you're going to have anguish, you're going to have sorrow in your life at times. There's still battles to fight in this life. But friend, you can face each battle not wondering whether you can gain the victory or not. But you can face each battle that God brings, allows in your life with the calm assurance that victory is guaranteed. You are already victorious in Christ. We need to get a hold of that principle. So you see, you don't have to wonder about whether or not you can defeat the next temptation that comes into your life. Because God said, there hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. God already gave you the guarantee, guaranteed ability to overcome it. Amen. If you are in Christ. You don't have to worry about your battle with cancer. The worst thing that can happen is that it sends you to a better place called heaven. You don't have to worry about your eternal soul. For Satan himself can't even pluck you out of God's hand. You are eternally secure if you're saved tonight. The victory has already been won. When we live according to our triumph in Christ. In other words, when our testimony is consistent with the victory that he's already won for us. uh, Then that savor, that smell of victory uh, will be made known to all men. To the saved and to the lost. Look at verse 15 again. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. In them that are saved, look at this, and in them that perish. (laughs) Do you know that when a Christian is living his life according to the victory that's already been won, your your life, your testimony, you're living like the victory that God's already won, it it lines up with that. Do you know when, when you're living that way, it so permeates the air that both saved men and lost men are aware of it. But the effects are not the same on both. For in verse 16, it says, To the one, we are a savor of death unto death. And to the other, the savor of life unto life. You see, friend, to the Christian, the fragrance of the knowledge of God is life. But to the lost man, it is only death. Back in the days of the Roman triumphal march, the fragrance was smelled by everybody. Now to the victors, the Romans, it was a sweet smell. It was the smell of victory. It was the smell of glory. It was a smell they loved to smell. But to the vanquished, to the captives that were being led to their death, uh, they knew what what that smell meant. To them, it was an awful smell. It was the smell of defeat. It was the smell of death. You know, that's exactly how it is for the saved man and the lost man today. You can have a saved man that loves the Lord and he attends a church service like this one tonight and and all the way from the singing to the praying to the teaching and preaching to the time of fellowship afterward. uh, He goes home and he says, Woo, that was sweet. I enjoyed all of that. That blessed my soul. To him, it is life. It is life upon life because it encourages him and it invigorates him and it renews him to go on in life. And you can have a lost man in the very same church service. And he can go home and say, it stinks. I'll never go to that church again. To him, it's death. To reject the revelation of God regarding your soul, it's death, friend. But worse than death, it's death upon death. Because the more he hears, the greater light he is given, the greater his condemnation becomes. The Bible says, for to whom much is given, much is required. And then note the question that Paul asks at the end of verse 16. He says, and who is sufficient for these things? What Paul is saying is, do we understand the weight of what we do when we witness? Do we understand how important it is, how important it is for us to be spreading the fragrance of the knowledge of God through our own testimony to others? Do we understand how important that is? Paul gives the answer in chapter 3 and verse 5. He said, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Our triumph is in Christ. You and I are not stronger than the enemy. You and I have not defeated the enemy. Christ has defeated the enemy. And our triumph is in Christ. So ask yourself first tonight, am I in Christ? Am I saved? Do I know Him as my Lord and Savior personally? Do I belong to Him? And if the answer to that is yes, then ask yourself this, am I living in light of the victory that He's already accomplished? I don't care how bad your situation is. You're going to heaven. I don't care how awful a place this world is becoming. In the end, Jesus will reign and it'll all be well. It doesn't matter what trials and sorrows come my way. I belong to Christ. And the Bible says he's working it all out for my eventual good. You See, it's great to be a Christian tonight because the victory is already won. And so we should walk through this life in light of that victory. As Christians, we shouldn't walk around defeated. We shouldn't walk around sorrowful and sad. We shouldn't walk around and say, whoa, it's me. This world is becoming such a horrible place. Bible says it's going to get worse before it gets better. But when Jesus comes, it's going to get better. Amen. We need to live in light of that victory. We ought to walk through this life rejoicing in that victory. Therefore, friend, you can have joy in times of sorrow. You can rejoice in times of trials. You can be praising God through the worst times of life. And we can walk with Christ with a calm assurance that nothing can happen to us in this life as believers in Christ that ultimately isn't going to work out well for us. Romans 8.28 For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and are the call according to His words. Amen. In eternity, we'll have, we can have assurance that nothing can happen to us in this life that isn't going to end up good. In eternity, we'll have new bodies. We'll have, a, we'll have new homes. We'll have a new song. But while we're here, let's produce the aroma of the knowledge of God for all to savor. Because the hero... The mighty conqueror, the Lord Jesus Christ is following and soon he will be here. That's why Paul said in verse 17 that he was not that he was not one who corrupted the word of God, but one who as of sincerity, but as of God in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. I've been at visitation and I've knocked on doors and I've begun to tell people about Jesus Christ. And I, I've had this experience, maybe you have too, where I've knocked on doors and, and started to tell somebody, uh, witness to them and find out they're already saved. They're already a brother in Christ. They're already a Christian. And we begin to talk and they have a love for the Lord and you can just sense it in them. And your spirit bears witness with their spirit. And I walk away thinking to myself, Whoo, what a sweet savior that was. What, what, what fellowship that was, what brotherhood that was, to, to share in Christ, it's sweet. And then I can knock on the very next door and begin to speak to that person about the things of God. And they look at me coldly and say, I'm not interested. Go away. Why do you Christians always come around and bother us and then slam the door in your face? That's not so sweet. Because of Christ. One was a sweet savor because of Christ. The other was a terrible odor. Also because of Christ. To one it was invigorating. And revitalizing. It was life unto life. But to the other it was condemning. It was bringing upon themselves greater judgment from God. It was death unto death. There'll be no doubt that some will leave this place tonight and say in their heart, it, it was good to be in the house of the Lord tonight. The fellowship was a blessing. The joining of our voices together in song and just lifting up praise and glory to God, that was a blessing. The praying was a blessing. Even the preachers attempt at preaching, at least the word was good, amen. And they'll go home exhilarated and rejuvenated. And revitalized, and to them it'll be life unto life. To others here, perhaps they may leave here and ha- be in the very same service, have sung the very same songs, have heard the very same message. They may go home, and they may then they may say it stinks. The whole thing of praising Jesus. I I don't like the preacher saying that I'm a sinner. I don't like the preacher saying I'm going to hell. I I don't like any of it. And to him, the knowledge of God is death unto death as his condemnation becomes even greater. Would you stand together with me tonight? Heads bowed and eyes are closed. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. You've never received Jesus Christ as your Savior. Friend, the message of the Bible is that we are sinners. We cannot save ourselves. We are hopeless and helpless apart from God. But God who loved us and His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross, to pay our price that we might have eternal life. To those who receive that simple truth, who call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. To those who receive that, it's life. It's life unto life. For those who reject, it is death. And it is death unto death. Maybe you're here tonight and you're not saved. What a wonderful night it would be to walk this aisle, come to the front of the church, look me in the eye, and just say, preacher, I need to get saved. We'll have a man take you if you're a man, a lady if you're a lady. Just simply take you to the side. Show you from the word of God, not what Baptists say, What God says about how you can know for sure you'll go to heaven when you die. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a Christian who's backslidden. You say, how do I know if I'm backslidden? If you've ever been closer to God than you are right now, you're backslidden. If you're here and you're a backslidden Christian, remember how sweet that savor once was. You used to love to be in church. You couldn't get enough of the preaching of God. You just couldn't get enough of being around God's people. But now, so many years later, it's just different. I'll tell you what happened. You're not living according to the victory that Christ has already won in your life. Maybe you're here tonight and you're a growing Christian. Is the savor good to you? Then come have some more, amen? Be around God's people more. Be around the preaching even more. Be in your Bible even more. It's life unto life. If you're lost tonight, we're going to invite you to come as the piano begins to play in just a moment and receive Christ as your Savior and be saved. The Bible says, Taste and see that the Lord is good. Would you come tonight? Christian, if God has spoken to you in this message, then you. if you need to be at this altar, then you come. Father, would you bless this time of invitation? Would you get glory from it? Would you help us to obey you what you would have us to do during this invitation time to apply the message to our heart and to our life. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You come as the piano plays.